This is one of those hard days. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Hello to those of you on WDBO in Orlando, Florida. Nice to be with you noon to three. Um, this, this is one of those hard days because there are so many stories. I really, really want to talk about Taco Gate. Oh my gosh. I want to talk about Jill Biden and Jill, not Joe, what Jill said about the, uh, about his panic people compared them to breakfast tacos. I'm not kidding. But I actually think now I'm, I'm going to deviate from what you may otherwise hear in conservative talk because I think this probably is the bigger story. There are two of them, and it's the two stories that if you're listening to talk radio, you may not care a ton about, but you need to. And I want to explain to you why, because this really is um, this really is important. And their foreign policy stories. Joe Biden is headed to Saudi Arabia. Now, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Uh, now, I shouldn't say I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I grew up in Dubai near Saudi Arabia. I have been to Saudi Arabia. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad worked for Conoco Oil. Uh, my dad is actually from uh, Coral Gables, Florida. Uh, my uncle Leif Erickson, yes, Leif Erickson lives in Winter Park now. Um, most of my dad's family stayed in Florida. He moved to Louisiana, um, went to Mississippi College, married my mom, um, had been a Boy Scout fundraiser, been a teacher and a, and a coach, and then fell into the oil business. And by the time I came along, that's what he did. He worked for Conoco in the Gulf of Mexico. And when I was about five years old, they said, uh, pack up and move. And we moved to Dubai. I grew up in the Middle East from five to 15. That's where our family lived. And I got to see uh, some of the changes in Dubai. Now, my dad kept flying back and forth to the Middle East over time. And so he really saw the changes coming in Dubai. Uh, There weren't as many when I was a kid, but it was notable uh, the strength of the United States in the Middle East and uh, the, the issues involved. The Iranians had several times terrorist groups try to blow up my school when I was a kid. Literally, we would come to school and a guard would take our lunches. Everything had to be like in, in Ziploc bags because they would want to pull the bread apart and make sure there are no bombs hit. It was the most grossest thing. That's when I stopped. So our school, eventually, they put a Hardee's in. Uh, at the time, the, you didn't have Burger King and you didn't have McDonald's in Dubai in the 80s, but you had Hardee's. And so they put a Hardee's inside the school so we could stop bringing our lunches because who wants to have these these guards digging through and like pulling? Ugh. So, it, But th- that's the way I grew up. And every few months, our family would leave. We would go on a trip somewhere while our visas were being renewed. I've still been to more countries than states. It was a fascinating way to grow up. It has certainly shaped my perspective about global events. I realize I'm somewhat biased, but this really is important. Joe Biden is going to Saudi Arabia. The important part about this is not a president of the United States going to Saudi Arabia because every president does, except Joe Biden. He has intentionally refused to go to the Middle East. In fact, I want to read you this. Uh, This is from Politico. For months, Biden and his inner circle have agonized over whether to make the trip at all. Biden, for a time, angrily rejected meeting with the crown prince, arguing that the presidency should stand for something, according to two people with knowledge of his thinking. He eventually relented, but the administration has been defensive about his travel and played up his commitment to using the moment to shine a light on human rights abuses. It's still unclear if Biden will make any comments about Khashoggi in public. That would be the murdered reporter. 
In fact, this is one more key paragraph, Biden sought to downgrade the importance of the Middle East so as not to wade into intractable problems like brokering a two-state solution between the Israelis and Palestinians. In a sign he was planning to conduct himself differently than his predecessors, he pledged to end the customary coziness with Saudi Arabia after the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, a U.S. resident. But over the past months, the posture has changed in subtle and not-so-subtle ways. This has been infuriating to anyone who knows anything about American foreign policy. This has been infuriating. You know we have military installations in the Middle East. They're not really publicly talked about, but we've got military installations throughout the Middle East. And Joe Biden has decided to diminish our investment in the Middle East because he doesn't like the Saudis. He wants to deal with Iran, a terrorist regime that wants to kill us, and doesn't want to deal with the Saudis, our longtime friends. Presidents sometimes don't have the luxury of being pure of heart. They have to do what's in the best interest of the United States. And what's so amazing here is that he said he wanted to downgrade the importance of the Middle East so as not to wade into the intractable problems of a two-state solution between the Israelis and Palestinians. Donald Trump did just fine avoiding that issue. In fact, by avoiding that issue, he brought peace to the Middle East. The Israelis and the Saudis are now engaging with each other. I need to put this in perspective for you because you as an American cannot understand this. And I need to put this in perspective for you. When I was a kid living in Dubai, if you went to the library, we had this thing. When I was a kid, there was this thing called encyclopedias. There were these books. I know, hard to believe. There was a building called a library. There were these books called encyclopedias, and they contained the wealth of the world's knowledge. Now you go online, you get on Wikipedia, you can find out everything you want. May not be true. Back then, you had to go to books. The World Book or the Encyclopedia Britannica, those were the two most famous ones. In fact, there was a time in this country there were door-to-door salesmen who would sell you sets of encyclopedias so your kids could get smart. Yeah, I was the nerd who read them, but nonetheless. You go to the I, the book I, everything's in alphabetical order. You go to the I's, you go to I-S, you would not find Israel in the encyclopedia. The pages would be torn out or redacted. Typically what happened is if Israel spilled over into a couple of pages, the page that on the reverse side of it had a text about something else, that page would be all redacted and black. So you could still read the page that wasn't about Israel. And then when you got to Israel, it was all blacked out. And then the pages that on both sides of the page had something about Israel, they were taken out of the book. Not only that, if you picked up the phone and you tried to call Israel, it didn't work. Israel as a nation did not exist. Phone exchanges in the Middle East could not call Israel. Simply could not. It did not exist. Not only that, you could not visit Israel. I want to go to Israel. It's one of the few countries on planet Earth I haven't been to, and I didn't go there because if you were a kid or you were anybody and you went into the Middle East and Israel had a stamp on your passport, um... Well, um, well, you wouldn't be allowed in the country. You just wouldn't. You're not allowed in. You're not allowed in because Israel doesn't exist. And if you went to Israel, it was verboten. You could not come into a Middle Eastern country. 
you weren't allowed to be an Israeli. If they found out you were a Jew, well, I mean, you might as well just go hang yourself. I, honestly, I don't want to be, be crass about it, but it, 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 it would not go well for you. It's bad. And then all of this was premised on this two-state solution, and the U.S. was going to be pre, being, bring peace to the Middle East. American presidents in their second terms, they got bored of domestic policy. They'd finally double down and say, I'm going to solve this Middle East problem. And the only one who ever did was Donald Trump. In one term, Donald Trump and the Abraham Accords, he brought peace to the Middle East. And one of the reasons that he brought peace to the Middle East is he said, guys, you're on your own here. We're, y- y'all are going to have to work this out. And it necessitated uh, the Middle Eastern countries who opposed Iran, realizing that Israel, their cousins biblically, that um, they actually get along better with Israel than they do Iran. And Israel has nuclear weapons and they don't. And Israel has technology they need uh, to update and innovate and integrate. And as of October last year, for the first time in history, you can make a phone call from Dubai to Israel. You can open a book for the first time and see Israel. My textbooks, my geography book, if they couldn't paste the word Palestine over uh, Israel, they would redact it. The Israeli flag was blacked out. I remember when I was in ninth grade, we took a class trip to Greece because that's what you did when you lived in the Middle East. You, you took trips abroad, not just one state over. And we went to Greece and we were standing in the Agora below the Acropolis. And our teacher, Mr. Von Spreken, he pointed up at all the flags and he pointed at one and it was white and it had uh, blue bars and a, and a blue star in the middle. And he said, kids, anybody recognize that one? Nobody knew. We had to memorize all the flags of the world in our geography class. We had to memorize all the flags. We knew every single flag there. We could go through every flag, but that one we had never seen before. It was the Israeli flag. That's what it was like up until a year or two ago in the Middle East, thanks to Donald Trump. And here comes Joe Biden, and he wants to abdicate our role in the world altogether. He wants to say the Middle East is not consequential to our lives, except it is. It is. It's a strategic partner. It is the Middle East. It is halfway between Europe and Asia. It is the crossroads of the world. And if we're not there, Russia and China will be there. Russia already is building inroads into Syria and Iran. China is building inroads into Iran. There is talk of Iran giving China land to have a permanent naval presence in the Persian Gulf where the oil supply flows through. The United States' fifth fleet is parked in Bahrain. This is strategically important. And the arrogance of Joe Biden, the president of the United States, to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to think different. And remember, when Donald Trump thought different, the entire establishment attacked Donald Trump and said, orange man bad, this is stupid. You'll never get peace in the Middle East. You'll make it worse. You're going to provoke a war by moving the embassy, a war, by dealing with them, a war, by forcing them to get together, a war. And what did we get? The Abraham Accords. He deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. If Barack Obama deserved it for showing up, Donald Trump deserved it for the Abraham Accords. And there are some people who say, well, they only got there because he was so negligent. Uh, it, It forced them to get along. But still, that was because of something Donald Trump did. He deserved it. And Joe Biden wanted to be dogmatic about it and say, I'm not doing this. I'm better than that. I'm not going to do it. And now, on bended knee, Joe Biden is going to have to go to the Middle East, not just for oil. Saudi Arabia is largely tapped out on their oil reserves on what they can produce that they can't really produce anymore every day. But he's got to go make inroads with the Saudis now because they're a vital strategic partner. And if he doesn't, China will. 
so the President of the United States, against his better judgment, is going to go do what a president should have done well before now and try to contain a growing crisis where China is trying to take our place in the Middle East. It's me. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Look, I've got more to say on this. I promise we'll get to the tacos and the Ron DeSantis. My gosh, Ron DeSantis is causing people to melt down. But there is one other issue, and I'll spend a little more time on it, but this this one's notable. Uh, Kamala Harris, while Biden is going to the Middle East, Kamala Harris is going to make a major, I'm reading now from an Australian news site, major intervention at the Pacific Islands Forum leaders meeting, announcing the United States will ramp up its presence in the Pacific Islands. She's going to make a series of announcements at a surprise virtual meeting with leaders in Suva on Wednesday and reveal the administration will craft the first comprehensive U.S. national strategy on the Pacific. There will be embassies in Tonga and Kiribati. Those are islands in the Pacific, small islands in the Pacific, but beautiful places. This is notable, and I got to listen. I need to commend this administration. As much as I'm criticizing this administration all the time for the things they are doing, it may pain me to do so, but I've got to commend the Biden administration on this. They are expanding our embassy presences in the Pacific Islands, Tonga, Kiribati. They're going to have more of a diplomatic presence there than we have had. You know, listen, I like George Bush. I thought he was a flawed president, but a good man. And he undertook 9-11 after that to wage war on our enemies and kept us safe. But in doing so, he dropped the ball in different places. And one of those places was the Pacific. And Barack Obama never much really cared about the Pacific other than he tried to push forward the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That was actually a program that Shinzo Abe, the recently assassinated prime minister of Japan, had pushed forward. This administration is getting serious about the Pacific, and it's out of necessity. The Chinese are getting serious about the Pacific. We do not want to cede the Pacific to the Chinese. The Chinese think that they control it. But the problem here is that you've got our allies, are Australia and Japan. Increasingly, Vietnam is a behind-the-scenes ally of ours. Why? Because they feel threatened by the Chinese. You've got the Philippines, you've got the South Koreans, you've got the Taiwanese. They're all feeling threatened by the Chinese and the Biden administration. They're all looking at Americans. Forget Biden. It's the United States they're looking at saying, where's your leadership, guys? We need you here. And we've been off the playing field. We've been in we've been in, in Afghanistan and Iraq for so long. We've been off the playing field in the Pacific. And as we've done so, China has been going out making high interest loans to different places around the world. So particularly in the Pacific, they've been making these loans with terms that these countries really can't, uh, they, they, they can't pay, they, they can't pay back, and they're going into default. And China's taken massive amounts of property in the Pacific from independent nations and then using those to build installations they can readily convert into um, military, uh, either naval bases or the like. It's deeply, deeply troubling what China's been doing. And countries in the Pacific have been concerned. So it's nice. Now, listen, it's Kamala Harris going, so he's probably going to screw things up. But that being said, it's nice to see that we are going to engage uh, over there. They're going to provide $500 million 
for fishing rights issues uh, to deal with those in the Pacific to help Pacific nations. They're going to expand Peace Corps volunteers in Fiji and other areas. This is actually a very big deal because it shows that this administration finally has realized we've got to be serious about China. Now, I expect this administration to screw things up. I do. But concurrent to all of that, I expect this administration to at least begin to engage. So when the Republican comes in in 2025 as president, there will at least be groundwork laid where the negotiations are already in place, the embassies are already built, the ambassadors are already there, and we'll be able to proceed in some capacity. I cannot stress to you guys enough that we must engage with these little Pacific Island nations because if you go back to World War II, and you remember that history, we were island hopping in World War II as Japan was was conquering everything, and Japan had already laid a lot of groundwork down there. We don't want China to be able to do the same thing. The Obama administration got rid of the two-war doctrine where our military was capable of fighting and winning two wars at the same time. Now it's essentially one and a half wars. We can hold off one guy, try to win the other one, and then come over assuming everything goes for us. We got to get back to the two-war doctrine. This administration is not going to do that, but they're laying the groundwork for a future administration to be able to do so. And as much, again, as it pains me to really, I mean, compliment this administration on thinking outside the box on anything, and it's really not thinking outside the box. It's just actually thinking. That's a good thing. Kiribati has been wooed. It's a small island nation. It's being wooed by China pretty aggressively. For the United States to step in and say, we would like an embassy here and we would like to build relationships with you. Many of these nations are only looking at China because of its money and wealth. They know they're making a deal with the devil. With us, we're not going to impose our values on them. China would, and so they would much rather come here. Uh, So kudos to the Biden administration. You're doing something smart. Even if I think you're going to screw it up, at least you're headed in the right direction. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Don't forget, you can text the word data to 33777 and you can get all of the show notes, information, all the links, everything I talk about. Uh, you can get, I send it out right as the show begins, actually full credit to Philip, who I, I put everything together that I'm going to talk about. And then he compiles it into the email while I'm pondering more of the show, but, uh, it comes out right when the show starts. And so you can follow along with me in the show. And, and typically we try to keep it towards most of the order of the show. There's other stuff in there as well, but I never want to tell you what you should think. I want you to be able to see and read this stuff for yourself. So text data to 33777. Consider subscribing. It's like seven bucks a month to get the good stuff. You can get a lot of it for free though. Now we have to go back to all the Biden administration stuff. Um, This is important for you to understand as Biden goes to the Middle East and is deeply concerned, uh, allegedly, about what's going on in the Middle East. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. You hear a lot about Khashoggi. Uh, And part of the issue with Khashoggi, he was a reporter, Jamal Khashoggi, wrote for the Washington Post. He was murdered. There were 26 Saudis 
who in a plan, it appears to have been organized by the uh, Saudi government or the, the crown prince there, went to Turkey where the guy was, got him to the Saudi embassy, chopped his body into little pieces and flushed him down the drain. That's apparently it. And he was a reporter. And if there's one thing that reporters in America love more than anything else, it's talking about themselves. I don't want to make light of what happened to Jamal Khashoggi. It was a uh, gross, morbid tragedy. From best we can tell, they actually did carve him into little pieces and flush him down the drain or some such inside an embassy. He himself was not a great man, and everyone in the media likes to gloss over the fact that Khashoggi had his own issues with Muslim Brotherhood and other issues it, it seems to to be. He wasn't great. He was uh, in the American press corps, though, and he flew to Turkey, and, and the Saudis got him into this embassy, and they killed him, and he did not deserve to die. For all of his faults, he didn't deserve to die. But this has now shaded media coverage of the Middle East. It has. They don't like Saudi Arabia anymore. It was a misstep by uh, Mohammed uh, bin Salman, MBS, they call him. He's the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. His uh, father is a very senior citizen, will not last long. Uh, There was someone else who was going to be the leader of Saudi Arabia, but uh, that person got skipped over for, for youth, for Mohammed bin Salman. There are many reports that come out of Saudi Arabia that the guy is is uh, somewhat of a deviant, uh, very cruel behind the scenes, but has a very public persona of being a nice guy. He's been a reformer. He's allowed women to drive. He's expanded women's rights and stuff, but also uh, apparently has a very cruel, mean streak in him. He rounded up most of his family and put them in the Ritz-Carlton and confiscated their wealth and put many of them on show trials as a way to consolidate his power. But here's the thing. We're dealing with the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. And the world as it is, is a world where there are many more nations that do not share our democratic Western values. And they would be perfectly happy to take money from China and from Russia. They would be perfectly happy to do deals with uh, Iran. They would be perfectly happy to do all of these things and give them the oil that we so desperately need that Biden refuses to get out of the ground. They would be happy to wage war and conquer and conquest and enslave and do all sorts of terrible things, but for us. And sometimes the United States and our leadership cannot take the world as we wish it to be, Jimmy Carter, but must take the world as it is. And frankly, we have long-term historic relationships with Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, with the United Arab Emirates, with Oman, with Egypt, and we need to maintain those for our own national security, whether we like the leadership involved or not. The problem here is that the American press corps doesn't care. One of their own got killed by the Saudis, and they'll be damned if they allow anyone to normalize Saudi Arabia. Everything now, every interview, every reference to Saudi Arabia is jaded by what happened to Khashoggi. They will not let it go. They cannot let it go. They are physically incapable of moving on because if there's one thing the press loves more than anything else, it's coverage of the press, which leads me to Fred Ryan. By all accounts, 
Reasonable guy. He's the publisher of the Post, more centrist than most of the people at the Post. He's got his op-ed, and it shows a bloody hand reaching out to Joe Biden's hand. And the headline is, Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia erodes our moral authority. Inexperienced politicians often learn the hard way about the difference between campaigning and governing, making bold statements on the trail that later require embarrassing reversals. But when it comes to international realpolitik, no recent candidate could have been better informed than Joe Biden. After decades on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and eight years as vice president, Biden campaigned in 2020 partly on his foreign policy experience. When seeking votes, Biden vowed to make Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman a pariah for his role in murdering Washington Post contributing columnist Jamal Khashoggi. The world had every reason to think he meant it. So why is President Biden now going to Jeddah on bended knee to shake the pariah's blood-stained hand? Once again, he's seeking votes. The president has justified his trip as a necessary move to promote stability in the Middle East and to deter Russian and Chinese aggression. But the president should know meeting with Mohammed bin Salman or MBS, as he is known, will give the Saudi leader exactly what three years of Saudi PR campaigns, lobbying expenses, and even a new golf league have not, a return to respectability. This undeserved absolution will internally undermine the foreign policy goals Biden hopes to achieve. First, Biden's meeting will signal that American values are negotiable. And then it goes on downhill from that. I understand Fred Ryan feels he has a moral obligation to defend the legacy of Jamal Khashoggi. And I understand what happened to Khashoggi was not good. And I also understand we do have strategic interests in the Middle East. And as Joe Biden decided to abdicate those strategic interests and they go beyond oil and gas, the Russians and the Chinese sensed an opportunity. The problem here is that the same media outlets that don't want Joe Biden to go to the Middle East are the same ones that want him to do a deal with Iran, and Iran is far worse in every respect than Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is one man. Iran is one man, his leadership council, his intelligence service, his secret police, his military, and his terrorist organizations around the world. And by ignoring Saudi Arabia, by making them a pariah state, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Oman, parts of Yemen, Bahrain, Jordan, they all went calling to Israel to become friends. They did that in large part because President Trump threatened to pack up and leave the Middle East if they didn't. But they also did so more so when Joe Biden became president because they knew they were on their own. Qatar is increasingly becoming a rogue regime, more tied to terrorists than to any of their Middle Eastern partners. Iran is funding terrorist organizations in Yemen to attack Saudi oil reserves, Saudi oil refineries, and Saudi production facilities. They've launched missile attacks into Abu Dhabi and Dubai, stopped by American Patriot batteries. There is a war brewing in the Middle East that Iran, Russia, and China are funding, and these countries are going to seek peace with Iran, Russia, and China in some capacity if we're not there to have their back. I really couldn't care less that Fred Ryan is upset that Joe Biden 
Biden is normalizing Saudi Arabia. The entire American press corps is now attacking Joe Biden for going to Saudi Arabia. They're attacking him for going there in the Washington Post, in the New York Times, in the Politico, at CNN, all the editorialists and all the pundits. And you know what? All the editorialists and all of the pundits do not have to live outside the United States. They do not have to pay attention to the world as it is. They do not have to live in an area of the world that is economically and geostrategically important. They don't have to do any of that. People in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, they do, including a lot of American citizens who are there and would be in harm's way unless we rebuild our strategic alliances there that Joe Biden, to his credit, is finally going to go do. Even if he didn't want to do it, he's dug in his heels, he's making a show of it, and he's no doubt going to embarrass himself and us by doing it and might make the situation worse if he doesn't play it right. But we have got to have a relationship with our Middle Eastern partners, including Saudi Arabia. This is realpolitik. This is the way the world works. This is a balance of strategic interests around the world and that the American press corps would vilify the president of the United States for propping up those relationships and walking back his prior statements. Joe Biden should have never made the prior statements is the problem, but he wanted the press corps to seal clap for him. That's why he did it. Now he's got to make things right. And now he's doing the right thing by going there, having these visits, solidifying these partnerships and keeping China and Russia from getting geopolitical strategic strongholds in the Middle East. That is what the American president is supposed to do. And while it may have some stabilizing effects on a lot of issues, it, well, might not help your retirement. It's something you're going to need to consider. Listen, uh, I, for years, in fact, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day. He's like, why are you doing gold ads? You've never done gold ads. Well, I never have because I never thought they were worthwhile, honestly. Uh, but we weren't then in the Jimmy Carter economy, and we're back. We've got 40-year high inflation, interest rate hikes, and increasing gas prices. If you go back to that time in the late 70s, early 80s, gold and silver were able to, well, stop the wild ebbs and flows in your portfolio. And now you're at these wild ebbs and flows in your portfolio again that we haven't had in 40 years. And so it's probably time to rethink precious metals. You haven't had to do so in a very long time. And now you got to start thinking what worked in the past. Well, you know, my friends at Gold Co. can give you a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. And you can learn about what happened. 855-904-5933 is their number. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Call Gold Co. See if you qualify for their special offer. See if they can help you. Just text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. I'll send you their number. See if now, like 40 years ago, is a good fit, a good time for you to invest in precious metals. Gold Co. can help you do it, and they can send you their free wealth protection kit. Text Eric to 33777. You know, it's funny when the media plays gotcha games, isn't it? Uh, like we were talking about with Saudi Arabia stuff. The American media is just in um, all sorts of uh, upset over Herschel Walker. Now, listen, there's reason to be. Herschel Walker, the Senate candidate in Georgia, they need to just do the Joe Biden in the basement strategy, which I think they're trying to do. But a clip came out of him talking about uh, our air and our good air goes to China and China sends us our bad air. And people in the media are like, what? What is he talking about? Um, You know, Herschel Walker 
is not wrong. I want to read you this clip. This is from Patricia Murphy. Uh, Patricia Murphy is a columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. She writes a political insider column. She says, Herschel Walker's campaign is doubling down on Walker's comments over the weekend. That quote, since we don't control the air, our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. Um, he's right. Don't believe me. Believe Georgia Public Broadcasting and National Public Radio. Smog in Western United States starts out as pollution in Asia. The U.S. is producing less air pollution, but smog levels are still rising in the Western U.S. because of pollutants released in Asian countries that then drift over the Pacific Ocean. Researchers say their findings show the importance of a global approach to preserving air quality. Scientists found Asian air pollution contributed as much as 65% of an increase in Western ozone in recent years. NPR's Rob Schmidt reports from Shanghai, China, and India, where many consumer products are made manufacturers are the worst offenders. The problem, scientists say, is that Asian countries' emissions of nitrous oxides, which sunlight then breaks down and reactions that produce ozone, have tripled since the 90s. When these harmful gases circulate to North America, they offset gains in U.S. air quality that have come from cutting nitrogen oxide emissions by 50%. Herschel Walker's right. He didn't articulate it in a way that the elite white people like it. And so the elites in the press are attacking him for his lack of speaking like they speak. And yet he's right. Oh, don't believe in PR. There's even a left-wing website out there called treehugger.org. China is polluting California's air. This is from 2019. It's a big reason California is so much smog. A lot of people like to imagine pollution respects national borders. The reality is it couldn't care less. A new report found pollution is traveling around the world and particularly moving from China to California. Herschel Walker's right. The media plays this stuff up. They take uh, Herschel Walker and they grab on the stuff. I know what this is like. Uh, when you run a flailing campaign and Herschel Walker is running a flailing campaign, the media seizes on everything. But this is an example of the media overplaying its hands. They're ridiculing Herschel Walker for talking about the air in China moving to the United States as the good American air circulates the world. But he's actually right. National Public Radio has reported on this. Georgia Public Radio has published, uh, published on this. PureEarth.org, an environmental site, has done this. Treehugger.com, a left-wing progressive environmentalist site, has reported on this. According to Gina McCarthy, the former EPA administrator, pollution doesn't know boundaries. Nothing goes away. It ends up somewhere. Scientists found Asian air pollution contributes as much as 65% of an increase in Western ozone in recent years. China's air, bad air, blows across the atmosphere to the United States. Herschel Walker may not have articulated it the way the elite white people of the media wish he would, but he's not wrong. And they should apologize to him for trying to embarrass him on this because he doesn't articulate it the way Raphael Warnock would, and therefore they want to drag him about it when he was absolutely right on the subject. It is amazing how the media will pile on to someone who says something that's right, but less than articulate as they would prefer it. And yet he's right. And we should note 
that for all of his flaws, and there are many, Herschel Walker got this right, and the media can't accept that he said something that was right. Instead, they would rather ridicule how he said it. That's telling to me, very telling. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. First Liberty wants to help your business grow. Now listen, if you're in Orlando, listen on WDBO down there. If you're in Jacksonville on WOKV, if you're out in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma on KRMG, wherever you are, Orlando to Oregon, they want to help your business grow. They can help you if your business needs a loan, $750,000 or more, reach out to them. The Frost family, good people. They've been doing this for a long time. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. They're down the street from me here in Georgia, and they're really good people, but they can help you nationwide. They make their own lending decisions. They want to get you to yes, where so many banks are saying no. When we come back now, finally, when we come back, I've gotten to it. The taco scandal, Jill Biden and the tacos. My gosh, wait until you hear what she said. Wait until you hear how she pronounced bodega. But it's actually a really big story. And if you're in the Hispanic community, I encourage you, stick around.